peace to you, and welcome to a sermon podcast from Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sign up for weekly digital content at richfieldumc.org. Subscribe, share, and get out there with Jesus to heal a broken world. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a good experience. This is the sermon podcast for the traditional worship service on October 6, 2019. The sermon title is The Cost of Discipleship, and it's part five of a seven-part worship series called The Neighborhood. The preacher is Reverend Hope Hutchison, and the scripture is Acts of the Apostles, chapter 7, verse 51, through chapter 8, verse 1. Friends, we have been reading through the book of Acts slowly and intentionally uh, in this year-long worship series. And last week, Pastor Nate read some excerpts from this really long speech that Stephen gives about the history of the church, and that leads directly into what I'm about to read to you today. It's the conclusion of his speech, which is a little angry, just giving you a heads up, he's a little mad, Uh, and the, the consequences of his speech, which are a little unsettling. So... This is Acts chapter 7, starting with verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout all rushed together against him, then dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. And Saul approved of their killing him. It's a nice nice light passage for my first sermon with you all. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so... Like I said, in today's reading, we see the consequences. Stephen's giving this speech to kind of a courtroom of religious authorities. And understandably, they they get a little mad at what he said. He's using some strong language. And this, yeah, this is is a disturbing passage. I'm not not gonna try to sugarcoat that one. Um, not only does Stephen die this violent and painful death, but we also leave off with this really weird cliffhanger. Someone's approving of that much violence. Someone who we 
It's a character we know. It's a character we, we want to like because we know him. It's, it's Saul. We don't know exactly what role Saul takes in this. We, we, just, we know that he approves of it. And it's difficult to read because we, we like him. But as difficult as this passage is, I have always found wisdom in the harder passages of the Bible. I think as a culture, as progressive Christians, we have this tendency to look at the Bible and cherry-pick these great bits, which that's great. Good to hear that we were all beloved children of God. That's important. But that's only one part of who we are as human beings. What I love most about the Bible is that it tells the whole story of who we are as humans. Every hero that you see in the Bible, the Bible does tell the great things that they do, but the Bible also tells the story of their shadow side. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat. The Bible lifts up the whole truth of who we are as human beings. And the difficult truth that the Bible is telling us here, we are capable of a lot of violence. And unfortunately, I I don't think that I'm going to any great lengths or making any great leaps to point that out to us. We still see it today. Especially when we're a group of human beings and we get confronted by a truth that we don't want to hear, it challenges our reality, it challenges something we love, we get really defensive. And when there's a group of us getting defensive together, that can become a mob and it gets violent. We only have to take a brief summary look at military history to see that pattern going over and over. The Bible tells us this truth. It confronts us with this truth, even if we don't want to hear it. But this is exactly what Stephen is doing here. He's proclaiming something he knows to be true. Jesus Christ is the risen Messiah, the Son of God that the Jewish prophets proclaimed. And he brings salvation to all of us. He's proclaiming this truth. But as a part of this, he gets real mad and calls the religious authorities stiff-necked people, opposers of the Holy Spirit. You know those are insults. Of course they get mad and defensive. And what, what could be said here is that Stephen is not the most effective communicator with his neighbors. We've been in this series around the neighborhood, talking about neighbors in the books of Acts, and Stephen and the religious authorities here, they are all neighbors. They live in the same city. They live in the same space. Stephen's not communicating very effectively yet, but I I want to be careful how I say this here. I want to give some caveats. We like to critique language and and how people talk about things in our our culture, and that's not a bad thing. We can all learn to get better at speaking and communicating better. But what's important to take note of in this passage is Stephen's social location. 
everyone in this passage is oppressed and marginalized. This is the Roman Empire. The Jews are an oppressed people, but Stephen is just even more of a minority than the Hebrew people are here. He is Christian. He's a huge minority. He's being oppressed not just by the Romans, but also by the Jews. He's getting yelled at and told he's wrong. And I think so often when we we get to critiquing language today, uh, we're often critiquing the language and behaviors of the most marginalized in society and telling them why they don't fit and telling them that they have to conform to the culture of the majority to be heard. Examples of this include, I am a woman. This is a traditionally male role. I've been told to change the way my voice sounds, been told to change the way I dress, so that people might hear me better. I think it does not take a lot of combing through news articles to find examples of African Americans in the workplace being told to change their hair because it doesn't conform to the rules. And I think the greatest example of this would be protesters that we see, mainly Black Lives Matter protesters who are being told, we don't like the way you are saying this, say it in a different way and then we might listen. Folks, they're mad. (laughs) They're really mad and they have a right to be. They're not being treated well. And so they have a right to express those feelings. So when I'm talking about communicating effectively, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm trying to take a lesson as Christians for us today. Stephen was communicating anger and frustration from a very marginalized place in society. When we communicate the gospel, for the most part, We are communicating from a drastically different social location, and we have some different things that we need to keep in mind. Because we're we're practicing discipleship today, and we're relating to our neighbors today from a place of immense privilege. Christianity has, it's not the official religion of this nation, but it's been the majority religion of this nation for the whole of our country's history. And for the most parts, the immigrants who founded this country came from countries where Christianity was the state religion. Like it's, regardless of whether or not it's a state religion, regardless of the fact that fewer people are going to church, Christianity is ingrained in our society in a way that it just wasn't in biblical times. So we're speaking from that social location as Christians today. And as I look out, the majority of us are also white, that also carries some, some privilege with it. We're, we're speaking to Christianity from a drastically different social location, and it behooves us to not communicate like Stephen did. When we look to this story today, we, we, have, to, we have to see where Stephen's coming from, but we also have to learn from how he communicated and do it better when we're communicating today. And that that brings us to what the cost of discipleship is. I think that phrase often brings up this negative connotation, and, and rightly so. Some people have said some destructive things. But I think the cost of discipleship for us today is learning how to communicate with people who don't agree with us. 
learning how to communicate with people who don't look like us, who don't think like us, who don't speak our language, whether that's English or the specific slang that I'm speaking. I speak differently when I go to different parts of this country because Minnesotans have a very specific way of talking. So for such a, a deep topic, I'm gonna pull an example from a slightly lighter subject because it's October and in my house that means one thing and that's that it's playoff baseball season. I know that's a sore subject for Twins fans right now, but bear with me. Um, my husband Aaron and myself, we both love baseball and watching baseball in October is something we both love to do. However, we are from opposite sides of the country, so we root for different teams. My husband is from outside of Philadelphia. He is a Phillies fan. He will tell you all the best things about the Phillies if you ever get a chance to talk to him. I am from Los Angeles. I am a Dodgers fan. The Angels are not a Los Angeles team, despite what people try to tell you. Um, if you are familiar with baseball rivalries or sports uh, in general, you know that these two teams have a rivalry. And also these two fandoms are known for being not nice to outsiders. Like really not nice, as in, in my memory, I can think of multiple examples where people from other teams have gone to those stadiums as visiting fans and been harassed, both physically and verbally in the stadium because fans are so, so vehement about their love for their home team that they harass outsiders. I will say that I don't have quite that level of devotion to the Dodgers. I've never found the need to do that around sports. Uh, my husband, while he would never resort to violence, at one point was quite that passionate about around the Phillies. And then he moved to college. We went to McAllister, that's where we met. And McAllister's known for getting people from all over the country and the world. So he had to um, learn to talk about baseball with people who weren't Phillies fans. Oh boy, was that hard. I, was, I spent a lot of time with him and he had to learn how to not insult me and I had to learn how to not insult him. We've had lots of arguments throughout sports. But even bigger than that, we started college in the fall of 2009 when the Phillies were playing the Yankees in the World Series. And he lived down the hall from a Yankees fan. So if he wanted to watch the World Series, he had to watch the World Series with a Yankees fan. And the Yankees won that year. That was the last year they won. But he had to learn how to watch baseball with this team, with someone who was a fan of this team that he absolutely despises. And he did it because that's, that's what it took to watch baseball. It, it's, it's taken both of us some time to learn to talk around about baseball in a way that we can both hear each other. Both of us have had to change the way we listen to each other and the, the way we talk to talk about baseball well. And, and it's taken time. We've known each other for a while. But we've gotten to a point where we can root for each other's teams. And we do, all the time. 
maybe not on the weeks when they're playing each other. It's always a fun time in our house. But through sitting together in our differences, we learned to root for the other teams and change our point of view. Discipleship is a very different subject. Culture is a different subject. But it requires this similar skill. And it's even harder because often these are more deeply held truths than which sports team you root for. Especially when we're trying to talk about the good news. The gospel may be good news, but it's not always a comforting news. The gospel's telling me I have to learn to communicate with people who don't like me. I don't necessarily like that truth, but it's what the gospel is telling me nonetheless. But what's most important is that I learn to talk about Jesus in a way that can be heard by the people I'm trying to talk to, and that I might learn to hear what they're saying in a way that hears what they're meaning and not what my particular of dialect thinks that they're saying. Cross-cultural communication is difficult, friends. <laughs> Spent a lot of time learning it as a kid. I'm still learning it as an adult, and I screw up all the time. But it's important. And one could choose that to say that it was an accident that I ended up talking about this subject on World Communion Sunday, or one could choose to say that it was the work of the Holy Spirit. It was not my intention to talk about cross-cultural communication on World Communion Sunday, but I do think it was someone's. Because it goes to the heart of what we're trying to celebrate on this day. At the heart of World Communion Sunday is a desire for Christian and world unity and peace. It's a really lofty goal. It's, it's not this surface-level piece where we just ignore our differences, ignore our problems, and just, like, don't fight for a day. What this day is trying to get at is this, this difficult, deep, humbling unity where we acknowledge the differences, but we learn to live together anyway. While we continue to learn how to be in relationship with each other without doing harm, in the first place, and while also learning to do good things for one another in the second. It's a grand dream, one that we have not yet learned how to live up to. But it is the good news. It is the kingdom of God. This story, friends, is a disturbing one, to say the least. It shows us the worst of who we can be. But right, but hidden inside of it is also who we might be at our best. Yes, there is violence, but there is also forgiveness. Stephen forgives the people who are persecuting him just as Jesus asked him to do. Not because it was the right or the wrong thing to do, but Stephen forgives because he does not want to hold on to anger during the, his last moments on earth. And yeah, this story says some really disturbing things about Saul. One of the big 
characters of early Christianity, the big characters of our Bible who we like to lift up and, and love and adore. And the story says some not great things about it. But what it does say is that even when we don't communicate well, his, Stephen does start by insulting his audience. It's not a great way to make people hear you. Even with that worst example of communication, there's a seed being planted. Saul still hears the truth of the gospel. He might be denying it, but he does hear it. The saying that you, you have to hear something seven times to actually like make a change, we keep saying it over and over again. Maybe the biggest of persecutors might become the greatest of forgiving Christians. You never know. It is hard to know what seeds we are planting. So on this World Communion Sunday, my hope for all of us is that we can grow into better communicators, not only with the people who look and think like ourselves, but also that we might be humble enough to learn to communicate with those who do not. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, copyright 2019. Now, go into God's world, knowing that you are a beloved child of God, and bear witness to the love of God, so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you a generous friend. Thanks for listening.